You are listening to the Feedback Link podcast, episode number 35. Today, we are going to be chatting with Mary, whose water had been broken for 65 hours before labor even started. But first, as always, we're going to turn it to Megan, who's going to share with us the review of the week. First of all, I have to just say, holy cow, 65 hours. (laughs) It's insane. Yes. Oh, my gosh. All right, so today we have the review, and this is from Dia159. And she says, Thank you, ladies, for providing this incredible resource. This has helped me so much already. I can't wait to have my V back and hopefully be on one day, on your show one day. I hope my story will help women like all of these stories are helping me, and it will continue to help me. Thank you again. I look forward to your episodes each week. Thank you so much for that review. We love reviews. We love them. We love them so much. And in case you didn't know, we really, really love your reviews. So if you haven't already taken the time to leave one for us, hit the pause button, head on over to Apple Podcasts, or if you don't have an iPhone or or an iPhone device, head on over to Facebook, search for the VBAC link, write us a little review a couple sentences about what your favorite part of the show is and it truly makes our day we read every single one of them a lot of times more than once (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes definitely you are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Happy Wednesday, Women of Strength. I am so excited to be here with you today. It is January 2nd, so we are officially in 2019, and I cannot even believe how fast 2018 went. Megan and I were just talking about this the other day, about how, like, we... Started, like I approached her to start this company in May. Was it May or April, Megan? It was May. Yeah. It was May. Guys, yeah. it was May. And then in June, I have this like crazy idea to start a podcast. And together we started this journey. And I just can't even tell you what a ride it has been. And we are so, so, so grateful to you guys, our listeners, everyone that keeps tuning in and leaving us reviews and sharing your stories with us. You guys, you are all incredible. And I can't wait to hear from our guests today. But before we do, I just wanted to share a little story with you. I was at a doula interview for a woman who is planning a VBAC. And actually, by the time this airs, she will have had her VBAC baby. And she hired me. And at the end of our interview, her husband told me, that his wife had told him about my stories, like my VBAC stories and how I had caught my own baby and how she was watching my birth videos on YouTube, which if you haven't already, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. It, you can just search for the VBAC link and we'll pop right up. And he, told, he looked at me down the eyes and he said, he said, so she told me all your stories and I can only think of one word for you. And in my mind I was thinking, Oh, right. Okay, lay it on me. Like, I've heard it all. Like, you know, having a VBAC at home, 
like my in-laws did an intervention with me. Like I, like I've heard it. I was like, just laid on me, just laid on me. And he said, you are bad A. And I would say the full word, but I want to keep this show clean and I'm not quite sure if I would have to mark it or not. But he said, you are bad A. And I was like, wow, thanks. You know, that means a lot to me. But then I said, you know, I think your wife's bad A too. And here's why. Because she is just 33 weeks pregnant. She's in her third trimester. She's switching providers from a, from a good hospital to a better hospital with a, with a rock star birth provider. And a lot of women don't do that. A lot of women, me and Megan see all the time about women who just stay with their providers out of loyalty, even though they know their providers aren't going to be supportive of the birth they want or be supportive of VBAC. And I think that that's bad A. And I think everyone listening to us, all our women of strength, you are bad A. Do you know why? Is because just by tuning in today, that tells us that you are educating yourself you're learning everything you can. We know you're finding a good doula and a good provider to support you in the birth that you want. And we are so proud of you. We are so proud of you. And in that moment when this, my client's husband told me those, I was like, but everybody is. Everybody who has a baby is bad A. Everybody, even, even C-section moms, even elective C-section moms or moms who go to hospitals and have a natural birth or moms who get an epidural, or moms who have a baby at home, and like any type of birth, you're just bad A. And I hope that you guys realize that because we know that you are. So before I get on too much and make this episode all about me talking, I want to turn this over to our new friend, Mary. And you guys, Mary's story is kind of unique because... I know that you've all heard that after your water breaks, your doctor wants you to go right to the hospital and that you have to have your baby within 24 hours. And once your water breaks, everyone, you get put on the clock and you get washed and you get monitored and like a hawk almost. You can sometimes feel like you're in a fishbowl. And Mary's water for her VBAC was broken for 65 hours. You guys, that's almost three days before her labor even started. So I can't wait to hear the whole details of this story. And Mary, I'm just going to go ahead and welcome you in and turn it over to you. Thank you. So I feel like I cannot share my VBAC story without giving some history about why I was a VBAC patient. For so sure. So my first pregnancy was twins and... As much as I wanted a vaginal birth for that pregnancy, it just wasn't in the cards for me, and I have no qualms with that C-section at all. I don't look at that C-section and think, man, I should have done this different or this or switched my provider, nothing. Um, my twins were born at 32 weeks, and they were delivered by C-section, um, and we spent time in the NICU, and it really went as well as it could have, and... I, I still love that birth, thinking back on it. My next baby, he was, my twins were IVF babies, pregnancy, and then my next was as well, and he was six years later. So I hadn't really researched VBAC. I just knew, hey, why can't I have a vaginal birth? Like, I'm not having twins. This should all be super normal pregnancy, delivery. And so I did some research, light research, and I hastily picked a provider. 
I just thought that a VBAC was easy to come by. I guess I didn't realize the fight that I was destined to have. And that pregnancy was a little rough. They thought um, my son had something called an amniotic band. So they were monitoring me very closely. And my OB at the time was pretty supportive of a VBAC. She didn't see anything any reason to not try for a VBAC. So that was the plan all along. I hit 40 weeks, and uh, I went to my appointment, and they checked me, and I was like not even a centimeter dilated. And then I went five days over, and I had an ultrasound and a stress test, and all of these cascades of monitoring led me to being induced the next morning, and I was 40 weeks, five days. Um, I was induced with a Foley bulb, and my water mm-hmm. was broken at four centimeters, and I progressed to nine extremely quickly, and then that's where I sat for hours and hours, <laughs> and I actually sat at nine centimeters for about 12 hours. And when my doctor came in in the morning, she was just like, I think it's time for a C-section. And at that point, I was just tired. I didn't have any fight left in me. I was actually, like, arguing with one of the OBs on call. And it was a really stressful situation. So my baby Otis was born that morning. And he was a whopping nine pounds, one ounce. And he was my second C-section which led me down a path of lots of research and lots of talking to other women that had had feedback and just really arming myself with information. And I just, I, we have a wealth of information on the internet, like right at our fingertips. And I don't just mean like Googling something, but I mean like reading studies and ACOG online, like everything's on there. And I can't believe I didn't know this for my past C-section. And I didn't, I hadn't realized like a cascade of intervention. So with my fourth baby, I was like, well, what's the best option for me to achieve my dream birth? And I felt that that was home birth. So I felt like I didn't want to give up control. I didn't want to be induced. And I really wanted to experience like an all-natural, mind-blowing labor, basically. I wanted to feel every contraction. So um, I went searching for a home birth midwife in Michigan, and where I'm kind of, I would say, a smallish town. So my options were relatively small, and I could have traveled to, like, Grand Rapids or Detroit, but I just didn't feel like that was super responsible considering like a two-hour drive time and children back at home. So I found a home birth midwife, and I love, I still love her. I loved her, and that's where it began. She started my appointments at eight weeks, and she recommended that I do co-care with an OB that has hospital rights because she did not have hospital rights. So um, we did that. I was not completely honest with my OB that I was planning a home birth. I just went to my scheduled prenatals and we did um, some standard testing like blood work and ultrasounds through that OB's office. And my due date was April 13th, 2000. And what year is it? Is it 
2018. 2018, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what was my due date? It was it this year? I guess it was. So it was April 13th, 2018, and we were expecting a baby girl, and we were to be birthing at home. My other children we planned on having present, and I was going to give birth in front of the fireplace at home, and I just imagined this, like, giant kumbaya moment in my head, mm-hmm. and that's what I thought was going to happen. And as we all know, plans go awry very quickly. So I thought because I was overdue with my last baby that I was expecting to go to 41, 42 weeks. And I was 39 weeks and four days pregnant. And I had just, like, watched TV and, you know, binged on some chocolate and chewed on ice. And I went up to bed and I laid down, and the baby was just, she was just going wild, like punches and kicks, more than I had felt ever before. And I was just, in my head, I literally thought, like, you need to stop. You're being so annoying. I need to go to sleep. I just had this weird, like, popping sensation, and I was like, holy moly, what was that? That was different. And I jumped out of bed and kind of, like, instinctually, like, jumped out of bed and was like, holy moly, that was my water. And I, like, yelled at my husband. I was like, Peter! And he, of course, you know, is all groggy. And he's like, what, what, what? And I was like, my water broke. He was like, no, no, no. Like, totally in denial. And I'm like, no! And he flipped on the light. And I tell you, it was just like a waterfall. There was, like, no denying it was my water. And that Like in the movies where they just ruined. pop and there's so much water. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was just like a cascade. That was about like 12 a.m. on a Monday morning. So I have older children that need to get to school. My husband's like, should I call into work? And I'm like, yeah, you know, my water broke. So I thought, baby will be here today. So I tell mm-hmm. him to call into work. So I, call, I text my midwife and I say, my water broke. And she's like, okay. And she asks standard questions like, is it clear? Does it smell funny? Do you have contractions? And I answer, I had no contractions. Um, my fluid was clear. She was like, are you sure? And I was like, oh, for sure. Like, there's no denying this. And she just said, you know, like, grab a snack, lay back down, and just rest, and call me if, you know, you need me. And I was like, okay. Like, it was, like, so nonchalant. I was like, oh, okay, well. So we, like, stripped the sheets and put a cover on. Um, in case things got really intense and I laid down and I was like okay like waiting for contractions and there was nothing and we were kind of like dozing in all night but I tell you when your water breaks you get like a a rush of adrenaline and you know you're you think that you're about to go into major action mode and nothing was happening so it was about 7 30 a.m that Monday and It was time to get the kids up and send them to school, so we did just that. Um, My mom came over. She was going to be present for the birth, and she just watched me, like, you know, just was, like, staring at me, and I was like, will you stop staring at me? She's like, are you having a contraction, like, every five minutes? I'm like, no, no, and my midwife came over. Um, She checked my blood pressure, my temperature. She felt baby's position. Baby was head down. Everything was fine, and she just said, well, we'll just wait it out some more. 
she suggested that I go to the, my chiropractor, which I had been doing throughout my pregnancy, and she suggested that I just, like, eat and rest, that labor would probably be starting soon. And that Monday went by with a few really mild contractions. Um, I pretty much went on with my day as normal. And we went to bed that night, and we woke up the next morning. We had a good night's rest, and that was Tuesday morning. My midwife came and checked on me. We went back to the chiropractor. We did mild circuit. We walked up and down the stairs. We just we just felt like we were doing it all. I was squatting, bouncing on a ball, and contractions just weren't coming. So my midwife agreed that she would let me rest some more Tuesday, and she would check on me later that night. So uh, on about 11 p.m., Tuesday night, um, my midwife came and she was like, you know, I'm getting a little concerned, as was I. I was getting a little stressed out and I could feel that tension was kind of building up and everybody was watching me and everybody was expecting me to go into labor. So she suggested that I called my local hospital and let them know that my water had broken and to kind of feel out how they, how they reacted. So I called my local hospital. The local OB told me, or the OB that was on call, she was not my OB, said, you can come in and have a C-section. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. And she was like, you don't have any other option. And I said, you can't induce me? And she said, no. And I said, can I come in and have antibiotics? And she said, no, you can come in and have a C-section. So... I was becoming very emotional at this point, and I was really knew that's not what I wanted. I just didn't want to walk in and have an automatic C-section. My temperature was great. Baby's movements were great. There was just no reason to jump to that conclusion at this point. So my midwife was like, I know that's not what you want. You know, she sat there with me and held my hand the whole time and was like, we know this isn't what you want. Why don't you just go to sleep? And we'll talk about this again in the morning. And I was like, okay. So we went to sleep. And um, we woke up early the next morning, and my midwife texted me that she thought my best option for a VBAC at this point was to transfer to a hospital that was a lot more progressive, about two hours away from home. So... She said this hospital was supportive of not only VBACs after two C-sections, but they were supportive of home birth transfers in that I wouldn't be mistreated. So, you know, me and my husband were really talking, and he was like, why don't you call your OB, see if she's on the floor now, and have a chat with her. See if she's, like, willing to induce you maybe give you antibiotics and let you go home or whatever. So I called the OB and I said, well, can you induce me? And she was like, I can induce you, but I have plans tonight. So if you come in and I induce you, if you haven't had your baby by 3 p.m., and this was like 10 a.m. at this point, if you had not had your baby at 3 p.m., I'll have to wheel you back and give you a C-section. Oh. And I was like, I was like, oh, okay. So I hung up 
And my midwife was like, my midwife, by the way, has had seven babies. And she was like, listen, I couldn't even go in and have a baby in five hours. And you've never had a vaginal birth before. Like, that's not, right. that's not fair. Unrealistic. Like, no, that's not yeah. fair, right? Completely unrealistic. So, so we're like really debating if we should travel two hours away because we'll be away from our three other children. And then I kept running through my head, what if I have a C-section and then I have to drive two hours home? I remember very vividly what that C-section pain felt like for me in the recovery process. So I was like, I don't, like, should I just go to this hospital five minutes away and get a C-section or should I keep this good fight up and drive two hours away? So I talked to my husband, and he was like, of course, like, whatever you want to do, whatever you're comfortable with. And I decided that we were driving two hours away. Good Um, for you. At this point, so at this point, it was like noon on a Wednesday, and we're driving two hours away. So my midwife was amazing. She sent all my records down to this hospital. She had talked to the... OB on call, and there was also midwives practicing at this hospital, and she had spoke to everybody and let them know my story, and they were expecting me. I, like, walked in the door, and they were just ready for me. They did vitals, put me on the monitor, no contractions. They were like, yeah, you're not having contractions. Tested, and my water had for sure broken, and by the time I was checked in and into the hospital, it was about 2 p.m., and my midwives traveled. I had two midwives that worked together. They had traveled down to this hospital with me, and they just stuck, stood by my side the whole time. That's amazing. And they <laughs> just like are, they were like angels, literally. Wow. Um, yeah. They hold a special place in my heart. But I got checked into this room. They were encouraging me to eat. They were like, "Have a good meal." So the nurses like hooking me up, the OB comes in and she was like, this, the plan is to give you Pitocin and to jumpstart your contractions as well as put you on antibiotics. So that was about 2 p.m. and the OB had came in and then I ate a good meal, we walked the halls and I was having some like mild contractions and the OB came back in and she was like, how are you doing on that Pitocin? And this was like 5 p.m. And I was like, I'm not on Pitocin yet. Nobody nobody hooked me up to Pitocin. She was like, well, you're having contractions. And I was like, yeah, but she was like, okay. She was like, well, listen, we're still going to hook the Pitocin up. And she told me it's like a gentle induction, so like really slow with the Pitocin. And they hooked it up, and they put the Pitocin on a one. And, oh, I should mention, I have – I, at this time, I've, my cervix has not been checked. I knew with my water being broken that everything out of my vagina, like I didn't want to know mm-hmm. what I was at. So no checks. So 5 p.m., I'm getting like regular contractions. A local midwife comes in and she's like pep talking me and she was like, you got this. She was like, you know, what's your goal? And I was like, to push a baby out, not to have a C-section. And so that was the goal. It was like written up on a board was not to have a C-section. Oh, Um, I love that. They put me on wireless monitors. I was able to get in the tub if I wanted to labor, 
we did a lot of walking around the hospital first. I didn't, I wasn't ready to get in the tub or anything. And then they kept asking me if I wanted to be checked, and I was like, no, no, no. So once those contractions hit and hit, like, really good, I was like, I need to be checked. I need to know if this is almost over. So it was 9 p.m. that night. I was about four hours into labor, and they checked me, and I was at six centimeters. And everybody, of course, was like, oh, that's awesome. You're doing so good. And I was like, no, like, (laughs) I want to be 10 centimeters. What are you talking about? So that was like 9 p.m., and my midwife really recommended that I get in some warm water and kind of, you know, change position because – this point, I was, like, stuck in one position. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to, like, relax. And they really recommended getting up and moving and distracting myself a little bit. So I got in the tub, and things were just so intense. I thought, like, I kept saying to my midwife, who was there, like, rubbing my shoulders and, you know, trying to help me relax, I was like, I have to poop. I'm going to poop in this tub. And she was like, that's okay. If you need to do that, that's okay. You know, like encouraging me. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to though. And she was like, you need to relax. It's okay. And I, at this point I was getting super, super grunty and I didn't know what that meant. But my other midwife, like, I remember her walking by the door and like looking at me and she looked at my other midwife and she was like, is she grunting? Is she pushing? And she was like, Mary, are you pushing? And I was like, I think I'm pushing. Like, I was just, like, bearing down. And they were like, okay, 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 you need to get out of the water. Hospital policy was you could not deliver in the water as a VBAC patient. So they had me get out of the water and get on the bed, and the doctor wanted to check me. And I was like, I don't want to be checked. And she was like, I just want to make sure. Oh, actually, it was the midwife. I'm sorry. She was like, I want to make sure you do not tear your cervix can I please check you? And I was like, okay, because that sounded really scary, obviously. So Mm -hmm. she checked me and she was like, oh, you're eight centimeters. And I was like, I thought, of course, I thought I was going to die at this point. And she was like, okay, well, why don't you relax? Why don't you stay on the bed? And then the midwife, something happened and they checked me again, like, like really close together. And she was like, oh, you're complete. It was like within minutes I had went from like six centimeters to 10 centimeters. And this was 10 p.m. And they're like, you you can start pushing if you want. They weren't like forcing me to. And I was on the bed at this point and I was like, okay, I felt like I had to push. So I was pushing. So my midwife, I said I don't want to cry, so I'm trying not to. So my midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, you can cry. I'll cry with you. <laughs> my midwife was asked my husband if he wanted to catch the baby and he was so excited like I I feel like this was monumental for my husband too because he watched me you know in an operating room two times deliver our babies and this was just like he got I feel like it's so monumental that he got to see that his baby come into the world this way and so he caught our baby and he got to lay her on my chest and that little nugget came out with a new cool hand. So I would have, so she had her hand up by her face and ultimately that's why my midwife thought um, my water had been broken extensively. She was like in a bad position. So 
she was born, and she was 7 pounds, 10 ounces, not anywhere close to what her big brother was, thankfully. And I had one uh, first-degree care that required one stitch, and that was it. Which is baby awesome with a nuchal hand. That yes. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No infection for either of us. And, you know, I just, I, the reason I wanted to share this story is because it's a variation of normal with my water being broken. And my research, even after that birth, has not stopped because I realized still there were so many things I didn't know. And I'm so happy that I have this knowledge now to share with women about the, essentially it's premature rupture of membranes without labor. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm so happy that. I'm almost happy that I had like this weird side of it that I can share versus it just being completely normal because I think it's so important to hear these kind of off the wall unusual stories. So, um, yeah, you know, baby's I, name was Esther, and she's healthy, happy. She's like seven months old now, which is crazy. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. There is, there is real beauty in stories that have such a big variety to them and that's what we look for in stories that we share because the thing is is that is that so oftentimes women are met with a provider or a hospital that has policies of all these requirements for VBAC. Mm -hmm. Like you have to go into labor by 40 weeks. We're not going to let you birth in the water. I had an experience with a client like that here too. You know, you have to do this. You have to have an epidural. We can leave. induce you. Yeah, we can you induce have, you. We, you don't have your baby in five hours. You have to have a C-section. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like crazy. It's it's, it is crazy how hyper-managed VBAC can be. And so I'm so yeah. glad that you reached out to us to share your story because you have lots of variations of normal. The nuchal hand is one. Having your water break for or being broken for so long is another one. And I think it just speaks to the power of women's bodies. Like you, you even started contracting before you had Pitocin. And, you know, the things is picked up right away yeah. when your pit was at a one. Like, most hospitals don't even start it at one. And I think it's just incredible. Yeah. When they were checking you, could they tell that her hand was there? Did they know that? Or did she just come out like that and they weren't aware? She just came out like that. And so, okay. with, after my water had broken, my midwives were really good about kind of, like, papillating and seeing where baby was in her position. And there was a point where my midwife thought, her head was kind of cocked to one side, like kind of to the left side. Yeah, mm -hmm. so she she was like, you know, really wanted me to do the mild circuit for this reason to try to straighten straighten her out. So mm -hmm. our suspicion was that my water had broken and baby was just kind of in a weird position that she couldn't get, you know, some pressure on my cervix to start dilating and contracting. And that could have had to do with, like, that nuchal hand as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, crazy. Crazy. I wanted to talk a little bit about rupture of membranes, which is also known as your water breaking or having your water broken. So a lot of the time, hospitals have a policy that once your water breaks, you need to have your baby by 24 hours after that. Mm -hmm. So some hospitals give you a policy of 48 hours, but most of most of the hospitals now just say 24 hours. And when your water breaks, you get really excited. You know, like Mary mentioned in her episode, my water broke 
two times out of my three VBACs before labor started. Megan's waters broke before her labor started. Mary, obviously, the same thing. And so there, here's some things you really want to watch for and why they're worried about it. So the reason why they want you to come in and they want to have your baby out is your water, when it's sealed, provides a layer of protection for your baby. So nothing can get inside and reach the baby and cause an infection, which is, which is a, kind of a big deal for a little baby. Am I right? <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's why they have those policies in, in place, is they want to prevent any kind of infection getting to the baby. So the thing is, is what I always say, is your vagina is not a vacuum. It doesn't just suck things into it. Things have to be put into it, right? So mm -hmm. things that increase your risk of an infection passing through or some kind of bacteria passing through to your baby is when is cervical checks increase that risk. Having sex can increase that risk. Being in a bath, just depending like how far dilated you are, can increase that risk. But, you know, there's, a, there's anything that is foreign that can gets into your vagina, can pass through the cervix to the baby. So once your water breaks, and of course, like we always say, talk with your provider to make a solid plan based on your specific circumstances. But generally, a supportive provider will tell you that to monitor your temperature, like Mary mentioned, uh, coming in for a round of antibiotics. So that's the biggest thing is once the mother's temperature starts to climb, that's a good sign that something's not quite right. So the baby would, you would want to have the baby sooner rather than later. And another thing is obviously don't put anything in your vagina, including cervical checks. You guys limit your cervical checks. Don't take a bath. Don't have sex with your partner, things like that. And as long as you're temperature is stable and you're at home not doing anything crazy, then you should be okay to labor past that 24-hour mark. That's the biggest concern. So again, consult with your provider, but that's why they say that. And that's the things that you want to watch for to make sure that you and your baby are safe because we definitely don't want anything bad to happen to you guys. So with that being said, I want to thank Mary so much for sharing her story with us. I love this story, and I'm excited that you got your V back and that you had such a supportive team and that you knew when that OB told you you can come in and have a C-section, you can come in and have a C-section, you can come in and have a C-section, you knew to stand up for yourself and find somebody who was more supportive for your choice of yeah. I think that Yeah, and I think that's so difference. important. Like, I just was... I think at some point you just have to know to trust your body. And I think relying on our instincts is so important sometimes. And I think there was no other time in my life I relied on my instincts more. And, I mean, obviously I'm very thankful I did because everything turned out fine. So, Yeah, your intuition is such a huge thing. Back in episode 25 we share a story with, with of a mom who had five very different birth journeys and each like incredibly different and each one she just listened to her intuition and was able to prepare and meet those different experiences with such grace and edu and education and just confidence because she trusted her gut she trusted her heart and I think that is such a big thing awesome like I love it I love your story 
Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.